This is Vital Signs, a podcast on cutting edge trends in health tech and the people shaping them. Uh, today, we have a, a, a really fun guest in, uh, in Dr. Austin Chang. Austin is an interventional GI doc and the chief medical officer of Medtronic's GI business. So very impressive professional background, uh, but you also might know him from a very active social media presence. He has over 500,000 followers on TikTok, where he posts a variety of informative medical content and fun content. Uh, that's 500,000 more followers than either Nikhil and I have. So uh, we certainly have some lessons to learn. If you combine all of our followers together, we have 501,000. So I think it's pretty good. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure many, many lessons for us to learn. But no, I think, you know, really excited to to have Austin on today. Um, There's, you know, Nikhil's written a few pieces before on kind of the rise, this next generation of of physicians and kind of how they're increasingly engaging with social media and kind of connecting with colleagues, patients, the industry in different ways. And so I feel like Austin is the perfect person to have on to, to discuss this. Austin, thanks so much for coming on. Thanks so much for having me. I'm so excited. Amazing. Well, I mean, to start, I would just be curious, like, you know, to, to hear a little bit about how you got into kind of medicine, uh, to being a GI doc, and, and what got you first posting on social media? Wow, I mean, that's a pretty loaded question. <laughs> uh, I, I, you know, I came from a family where there were some physicians. My grandfather was a surgeon, kind of in the World War II era, which kind of shows a little bit of my age, maybe. Um, and I have, you know, some cousins who are physicians. So I, w- I had some early exposure and kind of knew early on I wanted to be um, kind of pre-med and then went to Duke for undergrad, went to med school at Columbia, residency at Columbia as well. Um, Didn't know exactly what I wanted to pursue within medicine. Um, Wanted something procedural, but ended up going into medicine, internal medicine, because I just really liked the residents that I worked with in med school and liked how they were thinking. And GI was not apparent to me until halfway through residency. Literally, I explored other things like palm critical care and cardiology and um, for a variety of reasons decided on GI, uh, part of which is kind of the innovation behind it and, um, you know, the technology in a field that is taking things to become less invasive. And, um, and then from there, you know, pursued additional fellowships in bariatric endoscopy and advanced endoscopy. And, um, and that's really kind of my medical journey in a nutshell. And more recently, as you mentioned, uh, joined Medtronic about a year and a half ago, and that came out of nowhere. That was uh, kind of a cold call I received and, you know, really had to put some thought behind whether or not I wanted to, you know, go down that path. And it's been incredible and such a great learning experience because, you know, many of us, I guess, like in academia, don't get that sort of exposure um, to that side of, you know, innovation and, um, and the social media piece has been a decade in the making. So I started out on Twitter purely out of just, I've always loved social media and I kind of saw how it was being used in health conversations, um, about a decade ago and started using it professionally and tweeting about what I was learning and the conferences I was attending. And, you know, at the time there were probably five GI docs on Twitter and, um, and, but really it was rooted in education and um, wanting to dispel misinformation because I realized that there were some patients who were starting to like follow along at the time. And later when I felt more comfor- comfortable putting my mug out there, <laughs> I uh, then kind of transitioned on Instagram and YouTube and TikTok and whatnot. And the timing was always right. I sort of was an early adopter for each of those platforms. Um, as I became more comfortable in kind of speaking to what I was trained to, to speak on. And, um, and then I went from there. And really, like I said, it's just been always focused on education and 
misinformation and, you know, not seeing it as like a, I feel like I got into it a little bit maybe before the whole influencer boom. And that's not just healthcare influencers, but like kind of just general uh, micro and macro influencers. And um, so I've really seen the space uh, evolve over the years, for sure. What's your like visceral reaction when someone calls you an influencer? <laughs> I mean, not, you know, it's funny that you ask because I feel like I, I don't relate to the word. <laughs> I'm like, what are we influencing? <laughs> that's the thing. It's like there's such a weird connotation to it. And, you know, I understand there's influence to be had with it, but I'm not in it in the traditional, I guess, sense of what people think of as influencer, like brand deals and ambassadorships and that sort of thing. But I think there is value to, you know, building a community and like having um, a platform to advocate and to educate. I'm curious for you, since you've been, you know, you started on Twitter and you moved on to these other platforms, et cetera. Do you think there was like a certain inflection point um, in your sort of social media journey where either you started taking it more seriously or you realized that kind of like things were going really well social media wise? And then also like, you know, you, you talked about putting your mug out there as part of it, like... Is there been like a highlight and low light of being now the sort of like very public presence in the medical world? Yeah, I mean, looking back, um, I'm not sure that there was a specific inflection point. I think the inflection point for me was like completing training and feeling like, okay, I had the authority to speak on what I had learned um, before actually putting myself out there a little bit more than just being on Twitter and a text-based kind of platform for the most part. Uh, but looking back, I think that it just the timing happened to be that that was like when the wave was was starting. Um, and uh, and then, you know, when I was actually getting started back in like 2017, 2018 on Instagram, professionally speaking, um, there was a lot of misinformation. I mean, there still is. But a lot of us kind of early on that platform came together and that actually led to kind of a nonprofit professional society that I had founded called the Association for Healthcare Social Media, um, which I no longer lead. But it was partnering with the social media platforms and like trying to educate health professionals on how to use it because it seems like common sense now. I think the pandemic really catalyzed that whole uh, movement that like, oh, social media does have an impact on public health and public opinion of health professionals. But that wasn't necessarily, you know, um, uh, you know, received that way in the past. Um, but yeah, I, I think that that was, you know, for me, it was inflection points kind of within my career. And also I had an enterprise-wide role with my institution at Jefferson um, at the time, no longer, but it was working with the comms department. And so it was like certain things had kind of just aligned at the time. But to the second half of your question about, you know, uh, high points or low points, I mean, there's definitely a benefit to having the exposure that I've gotten on social media and opportunities that have come about. I mean, I'm here on the podcast. <laughs> I don't think that would have happened without that sort of exposure. Um, we'll decide later if that's a highlight or a low light. <laughs> uh, no, it's definitely a highlight. Definitely a highlight. Uh, but then, you know, there's also, you know, um, haters and trolls, internet trolls, and uh, there's a lot that can get taken out of context because there's only so much that you can do to express yourself or to, so even, you know, even talking about medicine, really, like there's so much context left out of um, education or, you know, um, out of describing a certain clinical scenario or, or whatnot. Um, and then, 
you know, with added exposure, I think there is uh, an element of uh, concern around personal safety and people taking your photos for uh, to scam other people, taking your photos and using them without your permission. Like, I feel like I've run into every situation at least once. Um, and it's taught me a lot of lessons along the way, which is why at the time, a couple of years ago, I wanted to share that, or many of us wanted to share that with others as they were getting started so that people wouldn't end up in, you know, uh, situations they didn't want to be in or getting into trouble without thinking through things as they're posting. Cause you know, it only takes one bad event to really, you know, ruin everything and get canceled. <laughs> totally. I mean, I'm, I'm curious cause you talk about kind of misinformation and, and, and kind of, you know, obviously a big part of what you do on your platform is educating folks, you know, a lot of, uh, medical topics are obviously quite nuanced. Um, you know, how do you think about, and I feel like we're a, a generation with no attention span for, for nuance. And so how do you kind of think about in, in your posting, both kind of getting engagement and being able to get the viewership that's required to really have an educational impact with also kind of balancing that with, you know, the, the nuance that is a lot of these, uh, of, of these, of these things in medicine. I think the first thing is like, I pick and choose what I speak about. I mean, there are certain things that are very, um, you know, uh, contentious or like politicized or like, you know, there's so many topics out there that are difficult to kind of touch on without providing a lot of context. And sometimes, especially in the roles that I am currently in, it's harder to, to approach those topics. Um, and, and, you know, even with my role at Medtronic, I have to be more or less, you know, more careful about just talking about certain things and, and devices because um, there are certain restrictions and regulations around that. Um, but on top of that, I think, uh, you know, in terms of balancing engagement with education, I think that we all have a different way of approaching this on social media. There's no right answer. I think for me, uh, uh, a part of dispelling misinformation and restoring trust in healthcare isn't just throwing facts at people and statistics and tables. I think there is an element of, you know, being relatable and putting your personality out there. So if you look on my social media, uh, platforms, it's not all, just like education thrown at you. It's a lot of my own life and a lot of like what I'm up to. And I think um, developing that relationship is important because we're, you know, at baseline, before I went to med school, I always found doctors and hospitals and healthcare in general very intimidating and unapproachable. And, um, and so if we can kind of bring that distance a little bit closer, I think that is, you know, that can get us a long way. I'm curious, just to riff on that for a second, like, have you, first of all, do patients recognize you when they come see you? A few, but, you know, oddly enough, I think many of them are respectful of the time that we have. So they don't bring it up up front. They tell me kind of on their way out and, and which I really appreciate because, you know, we're really there for their care. And there have been one or two instances where it has been like a, a strange kind of meet and greet situation. Um, but, uh, but for the most part, people are very respectful. And I think that a lot of people come across my social media after they look me up on Google or something. It's not like they necessarily find me through social media. Got it. Can you bill for the higher codes if you're spending time talking about the... <laughs> Definitely not. <laughs> the just, social media just, discussion CPT code. Yeah. It's a classic. <laughs> exactly. If you could have yeah. advanced care directives, you could have talking about your TikTok, right? Uh, you know, it's funny though, the, just on that point real quick about CPT codes, I think that the, at one point there were some people exploring whether or not like it's time spent on education on social media 
could somehow be reimbursed or incentivized in some way, because otherwise everyone, you know, we're all just taking time out of our, uh, you know, clinical jobs to, to do this kind of for free and for, you know, out of the, the goodness of our hearts. So there's been the conversation around that. Who knows? Maybe one day. I've learned if you can bill for a MyChart message, anything is on the table. <laughs> uh, but for for in terms of like the patient piece too like have you noticed like um any changes in how you think about either practicing medicine or even just like engaging with patients uh, in your day-to-day practice that either you've maybe learned from social media or learned from other docs on social media etc like has the social media aspect actually changed basically like how you practice medicine that's a really great question. I would say yes in the way I communicate and message. There have been some tough lessons I've learned along the way where I talk about a certain topic on social media and the immediate feedback that I get is that, oh, it's actually a very sensitive subject. And you know, one uh, very tangible example is that one time I had a TikTok probably three years ago or something about, oh, these are uh, low calorie snacks available at your grocery store. And I immediately learned my comments were flooded with people saying that this was triggering their eating disorder and this wasn't like a healthy way to look at food. And, you know, it's what I learned is that, and I reviewed this with dietitians that I work with, uh, it's not necessarily the wrong message. I think that the algorithm picked it up in a way that it was presented to a certain group of people who saw it a certain way, whereas others who may have benefited from it didn't see that. But it's taught, it taught me that, okay, I have to be very mindful about how I approach certain subjects and, um, and think through things a little bit. So it, yeah, and I think the other element to um, the communication piece is that to summarize something very succinctly uh, into a 15 second TikTok uh, has also taught me how to just get to the point a little faster. Um, and, and yeah, that served me well, I think in a lot of different ways, not just like in the clinical setting, but also in the professional setting and uh, corporate side of things. So yeah, it's definitely uh, changed some things in how I, how I uh, practice. Yeah, it's pretty crazy to think about how a message that you are sending can basically go to totally unintended audiences in a lot of cases if you don't control the distribution, right? Like yeah. if, when you're in a one-on-one practice with a patient, you know exactly who you're speaking to, you know, um, you control the distribution, obviously. Um, but for social media, you know, you can end up with some different pocket. It just like how that gets interpreted by that pocket is is can, can be completely different. That's like, yeah, I uh, that, that's pretty, pretty interesting. Um, totally. <laughs> yeah, it's never seemed to stop your ship posting the kill, but you know, good, maybe I, good, maybe good to reflect. I'd on. like to get into every single pocket so they know <laughs> how degenerate I truly am. Everyone should. Know that. <laughs> I mean, that's the thing. It's like not everyone's gonna agree with what you have to say, you know. And that's something that I just like accepted all along the way is that, you know, there's gonna be people who like it or people who don't. But you know, um, and the. What's great is that sometimes that's the beauty of social media too, is that like if it's a sensitive subject or if you're, uh, especially when it's like something evidence-based that you're trying to convey and there's some non-evidence-based folks in the comment section, there will be others who um, are also like trying to help you out there and trying to back you up. And um, so, you know, it facilitates conversation at the very least. Do you, do you engage in the comments? 
Like, do you actually go and, and talk to people? And do you, how do you choose which ones you actually respond to? Yeah, it, these days it's harder. It gets, it's harder and harder because I just don't have the time to do so. Um, That's my chart message that you could be sending. <laughs> yeah. And, and there are moments where, you know, if I see, if I just happen to see that someone has a very legitimate question and it seems genuinely curious to know something, um, then I'll try to answer. But if it starts unraveling into a more, uh, you know, um, polarized type of conversation, then I, I may disengage. But, um, but, you know, I think that's where a lot of the impact can be had is that there's people who are hesitant or genuinely confused and you know it's an opportunity to actually change behavior i mean one thing i'm, I'm curious about as you mentioned earlier obviously you had this when you were at jefferson i think you were doing or you you had this role of kind of a broader uh you know social media type role there obviously you know since joining medtronic there's you know some limitations on some of the stuff you can and can't say uh, curious, like what, you know, I, I feel like we traditionally think of, of medical institutions as maybe not the, the fastest moving adopters of some of these things. Like what, you know, what's kind of been the reaction both, you know, on the health system side, on the, on the med device side to, you know, some of the stuff you've been doing? Um, well, the health system side, you know, at the time, uh, I can't really speak to it now. I feel like when I was in that role, you know, um, it was under a, a different kind of uh, it was under different leadership and a different team that um, is no longer around here. So uh, at the time, it was definitely embraced. And I'm sure to a certain extent, it's still very much embraced. I just don't have as much visibility into it anymore. Um, but, uh, but you know, I think that it always starts from a point of like, okay, we're going to try this out and we're going to be cautious about it. And, um, and same with the med device side was that they were very cautious because I guess to a certain extent, there wasn't somebody like this uh, in a role like mine. And um, and now I think they see the benefit of it and they see that I am pretty judicious in what I do and say. Um, and, and, you know, if there is any concern, there's always like, I'm always open to a conversation about it. Um, but I think that seeing, you know, with the pandemic again and like how things are going, um, it's it's not something that we can ignore. Like we have to embrace it. That's where people are consuming their information. That's where people are exchanging their ideas. So um, we kind of have to adapt. Totally. And I imagine you talk to other, you know, you've had this kind of like longitudinal experience talking to other physicians about it, right? And I'm sure when you started, you like you said, there was five GIs on Twitter. Um, now there's obviously more, but I guess what if you noticed kind of just in your conversations with other, you know, folks of, of different generations, I guess, on the physician side? Um, you know, it's not, I can't really generalize, but there's, um, I've gotten support from, uh, you know, I think that there's actually differing opinions, like across generations too. Like when I started, uh, there was definitely some folks who were not as approving or kind of skeptical about it. And then, uh, and then others who were very supportive, but it didn't necessarily like correlate with seniority, I guess. Um, because some of the kind of, uh, visionaries out there who were very supportive were, you know, in high places and very senior. Um, and, and likewise, like some younger physicians still kind of felt like maybe it wasn't quite, quite the right forum to be having these conversations. But I think the pandemic really has changed a lot of minds around that. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I think, you know, more and more people who had previously, I've seen a lot of physicians who previously kind of um, 
were against this whole idea, who have since actually made their way onto social media, have used it in a way that, you know, that they see actually is benefiting them or that they see is benefiting their patients. And, um, and that's really changed their mind. Have you noticed, um, have you know, and that same question, but have you noticed any differences in sentiment across specialties? Like my dermatology friends are all in, right? I'm going to, I'm going to be honest. GI is not the first place I think of when I think of social media influencers. For sure. I mean, I think that there's, you know, dermatology, plastic surgery, they are much more kind of consumer facing uh, to begin with. And, um, and we're much earlier in adopting uh, social media than other specialties. And, and as much as like, I, I see GI growing very slowly, but, um, but at the same time, there's a lot of interest, right? There's a lot of people out there with gut health problems. And there's a lot of confusion around that. And, um, and, uh, but you're absolutely right. I think that they may be a little ahead of the game than more ahead of the game than we are. Um, and uh, but I think that you know, in each especially, I see certain representatives who are prominent on social media who are driving that movement for the field. And as a result, I mean, with every new generation, you know, more and more are jumping on, and so it's becoming more just like you know, commonly accepted at this point. Yeah. I guess, like, even in the GI stuff, you know, just anecdotally, I feel like I have a lot of friends with maybe, like, mild to moderate GI issues in some capacity where there really aren't that many, like, things you can do for it in a lot of cases. And a lot of times it's sort of home remedies and all this kind of stuff that's recommended. And also, I do feel like a lot of those friends end up becoming the most, I think, like, jaded about the healthcare system in some capacity because I think kind of, like, to your point, there's... There's not a lot because there's like not a lot you can do for them in a lot of cases. They like end up looking for something because they have an issue, right? Um, totally. So I, I think it's like important to keep them in the healthcare sphere, like the tradi- like healthcare sphere in some capacity. And at the end of the day, like social media has a lot of different pockets in it. And if you the traditional healthcare system is not telling you something that you feel like can help you, then you're probably going to go into other pockets where there might be like, you know, much less reputable information there. Yeah, no, I think that you bring up a really good point. I think that in a lot of ways, especially for these conditions where there might not be a clear solution or a recommended, you know, therapy, um, a lot of patients just would benefit a lot from reassurance and support. And I can say that a lot of my patients who follow me on social media, I think have built like, a sense of loyalty and you know they feel supported in some way because i'm more visible to them and as a result they are more willing to kind of you know be on that journey with you um without going around and kind of spending a lot of time uh i don't want to say doctor shopping but you know they feel just supported so they feel comfortable where they are rather than having being kind of tossed around the healthcare system as many of us probably are, you know, as patients. Totally. I mean, and it doesn't seem like, you know, it, it seems like you do this, you know, kind of uh, aside from the clinical practice you do. And like you said, most of your patients that see you, you know, maybe don't discuss it directly or, or maybe haven't been exposed to your social media presence. It does seem like there, you could imagine a world in which, you know, maybe independent physicians are using like these social media platforms as recruiting tools and kind of like ways to, to kind of do top of funnel patient acquisition. Like, do you kind of see the world moving that way at all? Yeah. I mean, like to the point of, you know, dermatology and plastic surgery having done that forever 
I think that there is a role for that because, you know, especially like certain even elective procedures within GI, um, like some of the weight loss endoscopy procedures that otherwise don't get much air time. It is helpful to like put that out there and patients can become aware and they can get care as a result. Um, but, you know, for me, that's not really the goal for me. And I, it has nothing, you know, for people who are trying to build their practice that way, I think, you know, more power to them for doing that because there's a role for social media there. Um, but for me, you know, it's just more about education. And honestly, just at this point, just about having fun and sharing my story. And, uh, you know, in this kind of age of um, kind of frustration with clinical uh, practice, I think I also provide a different perspective on things. And I think that's helpful for a lot of up and coming, you know, young professionals and trainees too. Yeah. Hey, wait a minute. This guy's happy. Let's go. <laughs> I mean, I can't, to be really real, it's not always happy, you know, there's moments, like no one's not always happy, but this guy's not burnt know. out, get him. Uh, <laughs> just kidding. Um, kind of like maybe on that thread a little bit, like we step, step back for a second. Yeah. Um, I think a lot of the discussion nowadays has been around whether social media, like broadly, is sort of a net positive or not for healthcare. Right. Um, like one side of this is some of the misinformation stuff we talk about. Um, some of it is also like social media's impact on mental health, for example. Uh, but then there's flip side of a lot of stuff we've been talking about, right? Like finding your tribe online or maybe getting access to um, information from sources that you trust or building trust through social media. Curious, like if you like, are there changes to social media you think that could tilt that equation a little bit more to the like net positive side of the equation. I mean, the optimist in me wants to say that we are on the net positive side already. And maybe it's, I'm biased because I feel like I've come across some patient advocacy groups or patient groups where they've truly benefited from the community that they've built on there. And, you know, um, I mean, I see that even among uh, personal friends, you know, when they're seeking, if they develop a condition or somebody in their family is diagnosed with something, it's so much easier to find a community and be able to, you know, um, find somebody to talk to. You know, in the past, I think without social media, it's just so, so much more, or before the internet even, right? It's just so much more difficult um, for that. So I, I don't know. I think from a patient perspective, I tend to see it as a net positive, but I do feel like there are a lot of um, I mean, I'm well aware of a, a lot of the concerns around social media, maybe a lot of the things that are not deliberate or not uh, intentional about that. Um, and, uh, you know, that's why I felt strongly, especially like at least from the misinformation piece that the social media platforms also try to do something uh, about it. And I'm happy to see that, you know, there have been some changes made. Um, you know, I directly worked with YouTube and um, kind of brainstorming how to improve their platform. And now they have specific labels and a verification kind of pathway for healthcare creators to actually get third party verified to see, you know, you have to actually submit your MPI number and everything so that, um, you know, that you, now that you can have a, so you can have a label on your channel saying that you're a, you know, licensed health professional, but, um, yeah, I think that there's still a long way to go and it's probably never going to be perfect. But, um, you know, I, I almost feel like 
it's it's a moot point in some ways to dwell too much on it because we just have to adapt because you don't know what the next thing is going to be the next you know challenge that's going to be introduced and we're just going to have to roll with it we have goggles now next year so like the whole i know i'm getting misinformation streamed right to my face when i'm uh you know in the airplane um have you ever been on the ask a doc subreddit before no i well I think I've come across it a couple times, but I don't, you know, yeah. I'm not actively seeking it out. It, it's, it's kind of interesting. Just to your point before, it's like they they verify um, accounts to make sure that they're docs by checking their credentials, etc. But the docs can stay um, anonymous just through their handle. And it'll, it'll tell you a little bit also about like what kind of doc they are, etc. And it's sort of interesting because like, I mean, I'm, I'm fascinated with the subreddit, but it's kind of like an interesting view into... Like, what kind of advice a doc would would give if they weren't like um, like scared of malpractice or didn't have like the sort of like um, you know institutional uh, uh, risk and all this kind of stuff, while also simultaneously not actually having access to like a full patient history and also don't, they don't know that much about a patient, right? <laughs> um, so it's just kind of like it's just kind of an interesting view in, like, to like other types of social media um, interactions that docs might use where maybe a little less sort of like uh, uh, building your like uh, your individual profile a little bit more like how can social media be used in like these other maybe like other ways um, yeah so it's just it just spurred that thought in my head I mean yeah that's really interesting and I, you know as you were talking about that I was just thinking about you know this whole idea of like whether or not it's net positive and I feel like in order for it to to tilt even further towards the positive. I think that I've always been a strong believer that we as licensed health professionals should be on social media because if we're not, then someone else is doing the talking for us. And that's where all the misinformation comes in. But, you know, clearly there are barriers to adoption here. Um, the least of, you know, which is the fact that there's no time and everyone's overworked and, you know, burnt out. Um, and, uh, and, and yet, like, we're having to try to maintain a presence. And it's a lot of work. I think people don't realize that maintaining a consistent social media presence is, you know, not as uh, simple as it seems. Um, and uh, you got to tell the, you got to tell this to my parents. They don't believe me. They don't like. Have a job. <laughs> tell They're like, what do you do? You just you post like a sentence a day. It's like, hey, listen, that sentence that you <laughs> choose is hard. OK. <laughs> yeah and this podcast i mean this is not easy it's not easy yeah i mean some people manage to do that and be a practicing gi but you know power you know I, I you're you're obviously you're a gi doc you're a social media star there's like no way we can escape this conversation without uh talking about glp ones right i think um you know it's obviously at the intersection of both of these things um we've seen a ton of companies uh in pharma kind of using social media uh to promote these products um you know i'd be curious kind of your thoughts on that as well as i imagine the conversations you're having with patients have, have changed a lot over over the last year and so would love to kind of just hear your your commentary on the on the glp1 phenomena also just generally like how like companies use like how glp1 basically became a social like probably the first ever social media drug right um so it's just like how brands think about it and all that kind of stuff yeah, you know, it's fascinating. I don't know how much of it, I'm sure to a certain extent it was a deliberate marketing campaign, but, you know, I think at a certain point, media and Hollywood takes over, and um, especially in 
the topic of GLP-1 agonists. And, uh, and, you know, I think it's just the, the type of, you know, obesity and weight loss is just a very unique subject. Um, and it's interesting, you know, I think that oftentimes in healthcare, we're trying to get our message out there and we just can't get it out there enough. And then in this situation, it almost feels like it's too much, right? Like they had to announce that they had to pull back on their marketing because there's the demand is too high and there's like these global shortages and it's just throwing everything off. And, um, and you know, I, I think that it's, uh, and then there's people who probably don't need it, who are getting it off label. And that's also disturbing the whole, um, you know, disturbing how, patients who do need GLP-1 agonists for diabetes aren't able to get their medications. And it's, it's just fascinating to see kind of how it's been. But I mean, all in all, my opinion about these medications are that they are, you know, hugely, you know, beneficial for patients. And, um, you know, I prescribe these sort of medications for my patients as well, um, because we're looking at obesity, especially uh, as a chronic illness. And, um, and, and having these um, options available for patients is just tremendously helpful. I think it's you know, going to help with um, improving health outcomes in the long run. You, you can tell us honestly, is your social media presence a hedge on whether bariatric surgery exists in 10 years because of GLP-1s? <laughs> not, not at all, actually. Like a lot of what I, you know, it's funny because a lot of my stuff has nothing to do with that. You know, it's uh, just GI in general. And, and What's interesting is, you know, I, as sub, super specialized as medicine has become, right, like there's a very specific niche that I practice in. And yet, because I am a board certified gastroenterologist, I talk about a lot of things gastroenterology, even if it's not something I'm doing every day. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so no, I'm not, it's not like uh, just on what, this one subject either. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm curious, though, on, you know, obviously, a lot of patients are being exposed to content about GLP-1s on social media. It's not that, for, you know, pharma's been advertising forever, so it's not the first time folks have come into docs with information or opinions uh, on on care. But I'm, you know, curious as a clinician, like, I'm sure some people come in with a pretty mixed bag of information, some of which is, is true and some of which is less true. Like, I'm sure there's some clinicians that wish, you know, hey, it would just be easier if, like, you know, I could be the authoritative source versus, like, this mixed ba- hodgepodge of stuff out there, like, have you noticed that in your own practice and, and is it kind of, you know, net positive that folks are, are getting this kind of exposure? Uh, or do you think that like, you know, it's so all over the place that maybe it would just be better off having that one-on-one trusted clinician relationship? I mean, ultimately, if they are having a conversation with a clinician, like if this leads to a clinician led conversation, then that's great. Cause then, then you're getting the information that you need. And honestly, like uh, knowing now kind of being on the side where I, understand that if there is a, a targeted ad or something like that, there, it's such a heavily regulated space that there are certain things like in those specific advertisements that, you know, that's all very carefully vetted. Um, I think it's the other conversations that are not by the manufacturer, not by doctors that get very muddy. But if it leads to, if, you know, patients are seeking a prescription and they're getting it from the right sort of avenues through a clinician, then it, it'll ultimately be a valid, you know, conversation. So obviously, D- Jacob and I are very close to the digital health telemedicine, blah, blah, blah. And there are a lot of, co- there are a lot of companies that are kind of like built almost around a drug rather than yep. around a, obviously like a maybe regimen. Like, 
again, this is sort of another example, like companies utilizing social media in some capacity, they can take advantage of, for example, like a topic like obesity, which has a lot of pull on the demand side. I'm curious what you think about some of these more like uh, companies built around a medication and then use social media sort of like as a, as a tool to grow. Um, and, and obviously you're a practicing clinician, so like you're at this intersection, right? Yeah, you know, this is, I have this debate a lot with myself, like, is this a good good thing or a bad thing? And, you know, I think that there are certain direct-to-consumer type companies that seem like it's not always a good thing. And I've spoken to some health professionals in other areas, like dentistry, for instance, like there's some companies that are very direct-to-consumer where it kind My of- My teeth viral- are fine. They do not need to be straightened anymore, please. Stop. Yeah, but the thing from like from a dentist perspective, like the problem is like if people are getting uh, something like that directly without being properly evaluated, there may be pathology that's getting missed, that's like delaying care, and and so there. And likewise, I think on the medicine side of things, there's probably issues like that too. And I'm sure that all these different digital health solutions and companies aren't created equal. So it depends on like what pathways they have built in. Um, because at the same time, I think the benefit of it is that you're improving access to a certain degree that it, for people who otherwise are waiting, you know, months on end to, to see someone. Um, and, you know, in that in those months, like, you know, that's missed opportunity to actually improve health. So I, I kind of see both sides of it. And and maybe it'll be a matter of time to see kind of which ones are actually doing things the right way. Um and uh, and actually able to improve outcomes versus others. So, um, yeah, I mean, I don't think that there's like a, I, I can't say that there's, um, it's entirely good or entirely bad. The like, um, the, the, the point that I've heard brought up a couple of times, which I don't know if I fully agree or not, it's just an interesting point, is like, when these companies that are so um, focused on social media advertising, et cetera, they actually, by nature, sort of will get scrutinized more because obviously, like, mm-hmm. if you see a lot of these ads, like, hammer is going to come down. You know, the hammer is coming down, right, at some point. And so you actually have to have, like, a tighter ship internally because they sort of expect an audit versus, you know, for your random private practice, like, do they have that same level of, like, oh, we know we're going to get audited or not? I don't know if I necessarily believe all of that point, right? We've definitely seen a lot of companies that have <laughs> did not care at all right um but i was like yeah okay that's fair <laughs> yeah you don't have yeah. like business insider reporters creeping around uh you know individual doc practices yeah exactly yeah <laughs> well yeah. and but the thing is like you just never know because you know for people scrolling social media you rely on the algorithm to show you what you know some of these ads or some of these uh some of these efforts and if it doesn't show up on your feed you might not ever know it exists yeah, that's true. This is why I like uh, listen to podcasts. You know, it's like the ads on a podcast are the closest thing that uh, I think like <laughs> I have to like mass consumer ads at this point. Like, <laughs> now, like now I know that, you know, Blue Apron is not a thing anymore, but like Mercury Bank is. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. I mean, I guess also another thing I'd, I'd be curious about, we obviously, we have a lot of clinicians that listen to the podcast, and uh, I'm sure you're inspiring more to, uh, to to get a social media presence with this episode. You know, for those that are kind of just getting started, um, any recommendations for kind of like do's and don'ts or things you wish you'd known when you, when you started? Yeah, you know, what I usually recommend is like, 
it comes down to three things. It comes down to what you're good at, who you're trying to talk to, and what platform to choose. Um, and and so I think that those, uh, sorry, who you're trying, what platform you choose is dependent on what you're good at, who you're trying to talk to, and what your purpose is. Sorry, that's those are the three things that I meant to say. Um, because I think what you're good at, if you're not comfortable on camera, then you're probably, you know, you probably want to lean towards something maybe more like Twitter or something else, not like a TikTok or not like a YouTube. Or if you're not cute, uh, that's, why I'm a, that's why I'm on Twitter, you know. <laughs> oh, please. <laughs> but no, and then I think that, you know, your purpose, because some people are using it to market their practice. Some people are using it to educate. Others are like advocating or just wanting to network with their colleagues. And so... Depending on what it is, there's different uh, platforms. If you're going, if you're a clinician and your focus is networking with fellow clinicians, I don't think necessarily TikTok is the right place for you. You know, Twitter is where it's at, where a lot of clinicians are, especially if you're a trainee, that's where a lot of the academicians are. So um, that also determines what platform you are. And, and then, yeah, who you're trying to reach. Like if you're trying to reach colleagues versus if you're trying to reach the general public, it's a very different um uh, audience. So for me, I think that I've adapted on every platform to a different audience in some ways. So you'll see that how I communicate on Twitter or on LinkedIn is very different than how I communicate on TikTok, right? Like what I'm saying on TikTok is definitely not what I'm doing on LinkedIn. <laughs> I knew, I knew this was going to come out. I fucking knew it. Listen, I don't know how you do it. Like I don't have time to be like changing my messaging by platform. Okay. Oh, no, no, no. You take me as like, I am. All right, you can't handle me at my LinkedIn. You don't deserve me at my Twitter. I mean, it's very, it's like a repurposed version of the same message. Like I, someone told me recently, it's like, it's like a very, um, it's like a very sustainable way of, <laughs> of social media use. But, uh, and you know what? I think that there's, there may be room for use, having that type of a identity on LinkedIn. I mean, if anything, LinkedIn has become more like Instagram today than it was, you know, LinkedIn a couple of years ago was more or less like a Rolodex. And now it's like a legitimate social media platform. And um, so these things change. The, the the brave souls that are like primarily getting their information from LinkedIn, is that's like a archetype of person, you know? <laughs> Just gonna throw that out there. I mean, LinkedIn influencers are a thing too nowadays, right? Like, it's it's very interesting to see that that's emerged. Have you have you noticed like any big differences as you've posted across these different platforms in terms of either like the kinds of people that watch it or reach out, etc.? I know, like for example, YouTube comments used to be accessible, and now they're like one of the most positive places on the internet. <laughs> so, oh, really? I feel like sometimes, I don't know, maybe my comment section still remains. I think also because you make the video, you can see all the comments versus I think if you're just scrolling, uh, like the most uploaded or the most recommended are like all very positive. Yes. Yeah, that's true. Um, I mean, it just really depends on like the, the who is on that platform, right? So like on LinkedIn, when it's all mainly professionals who have all their credentials there and have, you know, they're not going to be stepping out of line as much as like when they're anonymous on a YouTube or a Twitter. Um, so, you know, I, I think, yeah, it, it, it depends. And it depends on like what identity you've created for yourself. I think um, maybe at one point, some of my messaging 
towards misinformation was a little more aggressive and I've dialed that way back now. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I feel like that identity that you create also invites a certain type of interaction. Do you have a favorite platform to post to? You know, I think my platform of the moment, and usually what I end up saying is Instagram. Uh, I mean, they've done a pretty good job at integrating like all the features of all the different platforms. And, um, and honestly, I just feel like I have a closer community there. So even though my biggest platform by numbers, I guess, is TikTok, but I don't have that sense of community there. Uh, and maybe it's also just the way the platform is built. You know, you're on the For You page where you're more interested in like engaging fun content, not necessarily from people you're following, but what's going viral. And, uh, and that's a very different, you know, mentality than when you're scrolling on Instagram. There's, there's like a context collapse a little bit that happens. I mean, like I obviously spend a lot of my time on Twitter and as they've shifted, for example, to the For You algorithm, which is sort of trying to mimic, I think, the TikTok interest graph, um, you kind of lose the context of like the person posting, right? It only becomes that like individual tweet or like in, in TikTok's case, that would be the individual video where it's like, how do you like build longitudinal trust if you like, if, if you only get like one or two things that are seen by people? So right. it's so tough because on TikTok, I think a part of me wonders like if it's, the algorithm has changed or if it's just the fact that you know once once upon a time the community was much smaller and like more um uh just tight-knit and then now it because there's just so many users that it just gets very diluted um i mean it, it's interesting to see how things have changed like back when i started on tiktok in 2019 like these trends on tiktok were very easy to identify and now it's very difficult like to identify, okay, what's a current trending audio or a trend that people are doing? Um, so yeah, it's interesting to see how things have evolved. Totally. You know, we talked a lot about um, kind of using social media for patient, uh, you know, or, or kind of educating patients about, um, you know, healthcare. One other aspect we haven't talked about is kind of more marketing directly to physicians. And obviously, you know, in your role at Medtronic, uh, I'm sure this is something you think about, but I feel like that's been an age-old question for folks that sell into doctors of like, you know, what the most effective way to engage with them is, how do you kind of get their attention? Uh, and I'm curious how you've seen like social media, to what extent it, it does play a role in that or or is it not actually that effective in, uh, in, in in getting in front of clinicians? Are they showing up at your door? Are they knocking, you know? Are they going to flyer? It's, it's such a, it's, you know, there's definite benefit to social media, right? Just in getting a message out there quickly. Um, like no one is checking their mailbox at home for updates anymore. It's like mo mainly on social media that you can get a quick um, update or get the message out fast. And But at the same time, I think organizational social media accounts just without kind of a face to the brand or to the um, organization, it's, it's harder to relate to, you know, like social media, you kind of want to relate to something and somebody. And, um, and I think that's why someone like myself in this role, it's helpful because I, in some ways represent, you know, the organizations that I'm associated with. But um, yeah, so it's, it's a little bit of a mixed bag, like you, on the one hand can get a message out, but then, you know, it, it's hindered by the fact that it's a faceless kind of organization on that thread a little bit like it's kind of interesting to also even see how public health campaigns have changed over time yes. right um because 
you know, even now for it's actually, you know, in sort of the GI world, right? Like colon, um, colon cancer screenings are like a great example of this, right? Where celebrities now are like all involved in colon cancer screenings. Like I saw the, like the always sunny cast or something was like, uh, was doing it. <laughs> I guess like how, you know, when, when you think about it, especially like public health campaign stuff too, or like, I'm sure you see a lot of ads and, and, and obviously there's a lot in, in the GI world, I guess like for one, like, how do you think about how much information actually goes into public health screening campaign, right? Um, because, for example, like, colonoscopies are a great example of this, where it's like, all this new evidence is coming out about like, oh, like, when should we be doing colon cancer screening and all this kind of stuff. Uh-huh. And we've spent like 10 years now messaging like, listen, you got to get in at like 40. Is yeah. it 45? I think it's 45, right? Yeah, it's 45, yeah. It's like, you got to get, <laughs> I, I, I should know this. Uh, <laughs> you got to get in at 45, right? But now like if that changes, you got to get the message back out there. You got to redraw the message. What if it's like actually like, I mean, in this case not, but like actually maybe don't get it at 45, right? Like, um, I don't know. I just like, I don't know if you have thoughts on just like how public health screening campaigns have changed or like how you if you think they're like effective ones like particularly good ones um yeah you know it's it's very difficult because the amount of dollars behind different marketing campaigns or different causes just differs tremendously and um and without that sort of support it's hard to get any sort of message out there especially these types of celebrity collaborations um and you know i think that naturally with a lot of public figures who have unfortunately passed from colon cancer, like there's been a lot of publicity around the topic. Um, But, you know, I I think that it's not even like a matter of whether or not we should incorporate social media into these sort of campaigns, like it's a must. And, um, and yeah, I think that it's, it's interesting because, you know, I agree, like it's hard, sometimes we're just constantly playing catch up with these sort of updates, because even to Right, even in clinical practice, to get our clinicians, these trained health professionals, to adopt new guidelines, it's like several years before it's truly adopted, or you know, those guidelines are truly um, become standard of practice. And and how can we expect patients to do the same or to adopt this sort of mentality, you know, even faster? So yeah, we do rely a lot on. Um, people outside of medicine, celebrities, influencers for this sort of messaging. And, um, and it's been tremendously helpful. We've seen upticks in colonoscopy rates after Katie Couric got her colonoscopy on live TV in 2000 or 2003, I believe, or 2000. And, you know, recently last year with Ryan Reynolds uh, also putting out a video about, you know, getting his colonoscopy, that was a huge, um, yeah, that had a huge impact as well. And, uh, and, you know, last year I was fortunate enough to be on uh, this kind of roundtable for healthcare leaders and social media for the White House. And I think that that was something that they hadn't explored previously. But, you know, they were at a point, it seemed, where the, all the great policies that were coming out of the administration weren't getting messaged to people who would benefit from those policies. So they were also thinking of ways of leveraging these uh, yeah, health influencers, so to speak, to um, to get the message out there, you know. So, it, yeah, it, it's there's again definite impact on um, public health and on these sorts of like awareness campaigns. And I think that we can see how when it's not handled properly, like with the pandemic, things 
you know, or if we're not present enough on social media, things can also get out of hand pretty quickly. It's constantly on my mind because like there's new technology out there, like artificial intelligence and like, you know, not everyone is aware that it's available. And like, if they want a colonoscopy where they can potentially get, you know, more polyps detected and they have like a choice to make, like that they should be aware that there's these technologies that are available to them. So yeah, it's, uh, I'm sure it's like going to be constantly a moving target. What's been like your favorite post in some capacity that you've put out into the world? Oh my gosh. You know, the truth is that on TikTok, people will show me TikToks that I've made and I have no recollection of making them. And maybe that's just sort of like uh, a, a kind of a coping mechanism to not um, feel so cringy about myself. Um, but I mean, there's some sometimes it's the simplest types of messages, right? There's like one post there just happened to be a, a trending audio two years ago. And it was very simple about how um, it's talking about like this, the song had a lyric about like walking in the neighborhood. And I was like, well, we often advise people to like go out there and exercise and like walk around your neighborhood, but not everyone has a neighborhood that they can walk around safely. And I think that resonated with a lot of people that, Oh, you know, it's not something that we always think about when, when they, um, when doctors sort of give that sort of recommendation. Um, yeah. Or, uh, gosh, I'm trying to think of what other, uh, fun things or interesting posts that I've made. Or even like favorite uh, interaction on social media. Like I know I, I, uh, at least mine was like one time I like shot my shot at, at Fred Wilson, which is like at the, you know, kind of like the goat VC, um, at the time uh-huh. it still is. And he, and he responded and I was like a 50 follower, account and I was like oh my god I'm going to invest my life in this platform <laughs> yeah I mean that's some of the that's some of the, that the beauty of social media is that some of the people that you know you previously didn't have access to sometimes become more accessible and you know I had several interactions with Hank Green um on TikTok early on and we follow each other which is really awesome I love what he does um I mean people outside of healthcare and medicine who happen to follow me like there's some kind of a few celebrities or like big YouTubers who I've looked up to or who I've always watched who have, uh, you know, I've ended up chatting with, which is always fun. Um, yeah. And just like even professional connections that have been made and opportunities that have come about or people who have come across my content and have since involved me in professional activities from things that were not professional on social media, so to speak, like some you know, I was in a, a TikTok with a friend of mine who is when we were in Japan and that was seen by somebody who then like, you know, referred me somewhere else. Like, it's just interesting how small the world is sometimes. Um, I can't believe you mentioned that and not the White House. What? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I was I traveling in Japan, but uh, also I went to the White House. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, don't truth, like truthfully speaking, though, those sorts of opportunities, like I never in a million years thought I'd have the opportunity to participate in. And you know, even last year, I I went to the White House once, and then went again, and ended up going to the White House three times in a year. And I was just like, what is life? Um, <laughs> And, uh, yeah, so it's been truly an honor and, um, you know, I, I, it's not lost on me how unusual that is. Um, so yeah, I'm very grateful for those opportunities. 
That's awesome. Um, well, this has been a fascinating conversation. I'm sure folks will want to go and learn more about you. And if they haven't, certainly check out your uh, your social media profile. So this is a chance for you to plug uh, anything you'd like here for how folks can uh, can learn more about you. Well, I'm very easy to find on the internet. My handle is the same everywhere, Austin Chang MD, on Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, TikTok, YouTube, you name it. Um, and, you know, I feel like it's a... I, I wear several different hats, so don't be confused by my identity online. I think, uh, you know, it's a great place to talk about GI, talk about med tech, and, um, and just social media and healthcare and the intersection of that. So thanks again for having me. This has been a really fun experience.